deceptive manipulative. Is also a former social worker and a political campaign activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Eerie Americas. This is Vicky Ayala. And this is Christy Hull. What up? What's up? Eh, not much. Trying to relax and enjoy my free week. Uh, my inner type A is coming out because I'm just checkmarking everything I'm getting done that I've been postponing and <laughs> all that stuff. Most people just like take the time to stay at home. Like I'm like, yay, I just, like knocking everything off little by little. So I spent a shit ton of money, but at least I'm catching up with everything. I'm trying on the bridesmaid dress. I'm doing a million things that I've had on my list. So I'm excited about that. But it's also been really successful for me to be off this week because I can do what everyone else is freaking out about. I'm staying away from the general public. So I mean, I've been for that my whole life. I have been. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's finally cool that I hate people and I don't want you to touch me ever. I don't know, this whole coronavirus, listen, I'm not saying it's not scary. I'm not saying it's anything to be taken lightly. I'm just saying, please get your facts from somewhere other than Instagram. Please stop making them up on your own. And please stop acting like you didn't know you had to wash your fucking hands and not touch your face. And not be near somebody who's clearly sick. Like, those are all general rules. Right, like, these are not new things. It's, like, baffling to me that, like, hand sanitizer is sold out. I'm like, what the hell were you guys doing before wiping and walking out of the bathroom? Oh, yeah, because that's going to protect you from coronavirus. That's what I'm like. So you're just in your house and, like, your little bomb shelter that you created with a bunch of fucking toilet paper, like, and hand sanitizer? You know that in order to not get coronavirus, the other people around you also need to sanitize their hands. And that's my, this might sound like a conspiracy theorist. Like I might sound like a conspirator of people that sound weird, but just wash your hands. Antibacterial soap also kills a lot of good bacteria. So if you are sick, you, you're missing that good bacteria. Or if you get sick later, you're missing that too. So all you're doing is de-immunizing yourself. Well, that's what hand sanitizer does. As a hand sanitizer is good if you're like in a crunch or if you're somewhere where you can't wash your hands. But right. you sanitize your hands. Your hands are dirty. That's what you need it for, not for daily use. Right. So, but like sanitizing, hand sanitizer, actually, you become immune to it. But washing your hands doesn't, it's great. You are never immune to water. So, so. Right. And the fact that people like this whole, everybody's like posting about the proper way to wash your hands and wash your hand for 20 seconds. How long were you washing your hands before? Because I, I, I always washed my hands for that long because you get underneath your nails. People are just naturally gross because I was at work today and um, one of our like clients or whatever bought us lunch. And, you know, the easy thing to do is buy people like sandwiches, like those sandwich platters. You can tell what's in the sandwich by just looking at it. So this one woman takes a sandwich, puts it on her plate, lifts up the bread to look at it and then tries to put it back. And I'm like, coronavirus or not, that's fucking disgusting. Come on. And then she got mad when someone was like, can you please take that? You touched it. And she still tried to hand it off. And everybody's looking at her like, we don't want your sandwich that you touched. And there is a literally the World Health Organization had just said this was a pandemic. There is a pandemic going around. Why are you trying to hand off your fucking sandwich that you just touched? Well, I know you didn't wash your hands because you came directly from your desk. This is why this is spreading. It's like so fast because people are disgusting. Stop being gross. That's what it boils down to, guys. Right. 
I've never understood the whole shaking hand things. I always thought it was weird because I don't know how other people wash their hands. So it's like, don't shake my hand. Don't hug me. Don't kiss me. I never liked it anyway. But it's really not that hard. Just protect yourself. That's all I'm saying. Just wash your fucking hands. And after this is all over, continue to please wash your hands. Because the spread of a lot of viruses and cold. Um, I, people wouldn't be like getting the flu so rampantly. if people, One, stay home when you're sick. Like that's a big thing. On another note, Christy and I both went to the gym today. Yay! And I don't know, and like we used to go together, so it's weird that we both went. I've been going lately. I didn't think I was ever going to be one of those people that's like, oh, I like the gym. I actually kind of like it, just because it's probably one of the only things I do for myself. Right. In the journey of trying to be healthier, my coworker bought me this water bottle that holds a gallon of water because I'm a huge soda drinker, and she knows that if you let me, I will literally drink soda all day. It's just my thing. And so in my my journey to drink more water, they it's like that gallon jar that has the times on it and has like a little motivational like, you're almost there. Don't give up. No excuses. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do this. Mind you, my legs are extremely sore from working out. Like I'm literally walking like a flamingo that just learned how to walk. It is terrible. My knees keep buckling. So I drink this fucking gallon of water between 9 and 3 p.m. I have peed 17 times today. I literally peed four times between 4.45 and 5 o'clock, and I still had to pee on the bus. Today was ridiculous. I had I, I literally 17 times. I'm telling you, though, like as some, as an experienced, I drink like you see you've seen the thing I drink out of all day. I fill it up three to four times a day and you will, I don't know what happens. Eventually, you just start to stretch. It's like your body just learns to. Am I going to become more water so it'll stop doing it? You're not going to go as much. Like, you'll see, like, in two weeks, it'll be, like, 10 times a day. And then it'll go down to eight. I already pee 17,000 times a day. And so you just add, like, all the water. And, and I'm on the bus. My bus ride is only 20 minutes. So I'm thinking, no matter what, it can't be that bad, right? 10 minutes into my bus ride, I'm like, hold, I have to pee again. And that's, of course, when the bus gets crowded and then the bus driver won't drive because there's too many people on the bus and nobody's moving and there's traffic. And then normally when I'm on the bus, there's a bunch of stops that get skipped because they're not popular stops. Not today. Today, every single stop was was buzzed. So the bus driver stopped at every single stop. We hit every fucking pothole in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, there's not like a public restroom you can't hop off the bus and go somewhere no it's not i would have to buy something so mm -hmm. yeah so torture i am not drinking a gallon tomorrow (laughs) so i went to the gym at 6 30 so i started that at 6 30 and i finished at 3 30 yeah so that was just like a really short period of time that i was drinking very true that's true water's good for you i'm glad i did it i'm gonna read you like a short little reddit You know me and Reddit and my creepy stories that are true. This comes from, and I like this name, Sad Noodles. Awesome. Um, Happy Noodles. (laughs) Are there happy noodles? Are you just noodles? Mm. Are they naturally happy? (laughs) When I was around four years old, I was taking a walk with my dad, and I turned to him very calmly and said, Dad, I don't want them to take me. And he stopped and looked at me and said, What do you mean? Who's going to take you? And I said, The men that have been walking with us. They want to take me, but the nice lady in white said she isn't going to let them. My dad was notably freaked out, and so he took me straight home, and we stayed in for the rest of the day. A couple of months later, I caught a really bad case of pneumonia and was in the hospital for a long time at risk of dying. I told my dad that the nice lady in white would sit on the other side of my bed, 
and watch over me so that the men couldn't take me. When I Well, I eventually pulled through, and about a year later, my dad and I were looking through old photo albums, and I saw a picture of my grandmother, my dad's mom, who had died when he was really young, and I said, that's the nice lady in white. And it turns out she was buried in the same white dress she was wearing in the photo we were looking at. I didn't know about her existence when I was four. He didn't tell me about her until after I identified her from the picture. People never believe it when I tell them this story, but I can still remember it as if it happened yesterday. That is really fucking freaky and awesome to have a guardian grandmother. That's pretty dope. And you know he's telling the truth because, I mean, it's not like he knew who she was. He identified a picture. He didn't know who she was. And he it, it's just, I don't know, I guess it just proves that sometimes people really don't leave you. I like stories like that. Like, it's kind of... Me too, because it was, it was creepy, but it's like super positive. Like, yeah. She protected you and in real situations. If there's ever that possibility of you being able to fight death. That's what I feel like. I feel like death came for him a couple of times when he was four and she just wouldn't let it happen. Totally. So it was like a guardian angel. There are some of us, well, I would almost say most of us have had this fantasy at one point in our lives to be able to just disappear. Even if we don't really mean it, like having to go to school or work on a day where you just truly don't feel like going through the motions, the idea of being able to walk away and start anew is appealing. How often, though, does this really happen? When people go missing, it is generally not their personal choice. In this episode, I found three cases that sound like something out of a scary movie, not our fantasy idea of simply walking away and finding yourself again, but still really strange circumstances that... Is it possible that these people walked away? Is it possible that they just started again? Or are they really another unsolved mystery? So the first case I'm going to tell you about is about a young indie filmmaker who simply dropped everything and ran into the woods and vanished in front of coworkers. And that's the last time anyone has seen him since. His name is Terrence Woods Jr. Most of this was found on our favorite Reddit. Terrence Woods Jr. is a young, talented documentary filmmaker. Terrence grew up in Capitol Heights, Maryland, graduated from the University of Maryland and the American International University in London. Terrence has traveled around the world and has worked with different crews in various terrain and weather. Terrence was also a part of production crew for The Voice UK. So not a bad start to a film career. Like this is kind of not at all. Kind of successful. Promising successful person. Terrence got assigned to the woods of Oro Grande, Idaho, filming abandoned gold mines for the Discovery Channel, along with an 11-person crew, including a few locals, on Friday, October 5th, 2018, which was a cold, damp fall day. The day of Friday, October 5th, was spent filming around the Penman Mine, and according to the crew members, nothing particularly notable happened as they did the shoot. They described Terrence as seemingly unusually quiet, but otherwise... He and the job were normal. At about 5.30 p.m., as it started to get dark, the crew started packing up their equipment and preparing to leave. That's when Terrence inexplicably and suddenly took off. He approached a ridge of land a little way from the group that, dro- that dropped sharply down a hillside to a forest below. So if you look out and there's little hills and then suddenly right. the hill just drops. Like drops off. That's yeah. what he ran down. So he literally just he took just off. darted and just shockingly just took off. So he stood there for a moment, then to everyone's shock, without a word, dropped the two-way radio crew he was holding and took off running at top speed. He went hurtling over the ridge, down the hill, 
and still at a breakneck pace, raced into the thick woods at the bottom and just disappeared. It happened so fast that the rest of the crew couldn't react until Terrence was out of sight in the trees. At first, like many would assume, they thought it was a joke. And when he didn't come back, they decided to try to find him. I probably would have thought the same thing. Like, I probably would have thought it was a joke. I would have been like, oh, okay, that was funny. Wait, let's stop now. Yeah, but, like, come back now. It's the end of the day. Like, we're all tired, but this is really strange. Okay. Like, weird joke. Then they start looking for him because they're like, a cold, fall, damp day in October. The sun's going to go down soon. It's about 530. It's about that time where, you know, you don't start messing around in a place where you're not familiar with the location. The crew searched for him for about an hour, first shouting for him and one person going into the woods to try to find him, then driving down to the bottom of the loop of the dirt road they driven on to see if he was waiting for them down there. They kind of took it as maybe he actually made it down the hill and he's waiting. Maybe he was stuck there. He was waiting for people to find him. Somehow he miraculously made it down okay and went down to where, you know, it was safe for them to get down normal through the car and they still couldn't find him. When they didn't find him, they drove until they got a cell signal and they called the sheriff's office. The call came in at 6.41 p.m. So there wasn't a long time between Terrence going missing and the group reporting what happened to the authorities. A search was instituted and then called off later that night when the weather worsened. Three dog teams from Clearwater County, ground searchers, both on foot and ATVs, and personnel from the U.S. Forest Service arrived that Saturday and began searching with Deputy Stan Denham. Clearwater County Backcountry Rescue Helicopters also did an aerial search of the area. Fish and game canvassed the area and stayed later into the night checking with hunters and continuing to search. So they looked for him all day and night. Mind you, I mean, there wasn't a very long period of time for him to go that far. Someone's looking for you on foot, on ATVs, in a car, through a helicopter. People that are hunting and fishing are looking. These are people looking out for this specific person that just took off an hour ago in front of a crew of people. Since that day, there hasn't been a trace of Terrence Woods. Searching hasn't found anything, although the woods he ran through are large and there's no guarantee he ran straight for the road. He could have veered off in any direction and there is a lot of territory that could hide his remains. No one could be found who had a motive to hurt him. No one can explain what made him take off running. The police don't have any leads at all. Terrence's family, who were a very close-knit group, insists that he was fine the last time they communicated with him, the morning of the shoot, and he was a disciplined young man not given to impulse with no history of mental illness, and he would never leave a budding career he loved and a family who loved him just as much. The understanding is that the crew were all subcontractors working for Raw TV, a London-based company which had contracted with Discovery Channel to shoot the footage of Penn Mine for its Gold Rush series. Right. There were 10 people in the film crew total, including Terrence. It is believed some of them might have been friends or acquaintances. I read a comment that Terrence had worked before with a couple of the crew and knew them like slightly, but it's not all the 10 of them were super close knit group who worked together regularly or for a long time. There's a couple people he interacted with in production sets. People change all the time. So right. he worked a couple of days with one or two of the people. There are two people as mentioned previously, were local men who had been hired to guide the crew around the area and show them the best sites of what remains of the mine. The crew arrived at the town they were using at their base, Elk City, Idaho, population about 250. Oh my god. Tiny, tiny, tiny town. On Thursday, October 4th, 2018. The crew must have arrived pretty late that Thursday because Terrence Wood Sr. had said that his son called him at 2.30 in the morning to let him know that they'd arrived safely. 
The crew got together the next morning at 8.30 for their first day of filming. That was the day they all met the two local guides for the first time. The shoot in and around the area was supposed to last for two weeks, but Terrence contacted Raw TV and they had agreed to buy or change his airline ticket so he could leave the shoot early. The early leave is a huge question mark in this whole thing. No one knows. Yeah, why would you want to leave early? Right. And it's not like he called his dad, said everything was fine and they'd be shooting. It's not like he was like, hey, I feel really endangered or I'm uncomfortable. Or I'm really homesick. I just want to come home already. Or this this shoot's terrible. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like he's he gave no explanation or even no indication to his father, yet he decided to change his airline ticket. After arriving in Idaho, Terrence decided the next day to leave the two-week shoot early and had arranged to change his airline ticket home to October 10th, five days later. He told his father but didn't give him a reason, and no one seems to know why he did this. Terrence's father thinks that someone for some reason has kidnapped his son, or that something fatal happened to him that day, and that all of the members of the crew are covering it up. If he really disliked the shoot or someone in it or felt unsafe, why would he wait five days to leave instead of arranging it to go as soon as possible? Right, that doesn't make sense. And why would you not leave? It didn't make any sense. Same question if he was leaving early because he felt unwell. But if everything was fine, why leave the job more than a week early? Authorities, however, have stated that the crew and locals have almost identical stories. And why would nine people cover after each other? All this time. Yeah, somebody always breaks in those situations. Somebody always tells. All not friends. They are not like you and I who would like never snitch on each other no matter what the other one did. Or you know what I mean? Like these are people that are strangers and two locals. Why would they all have the same exact story and tell it over and over and nothing change? Right. That's the thing. At least if they were lying, something inconsistent would pop up. That's how people always get caught. There would be anything would be like some sort of discrepancy. So for nine people to have the same exact story every single time, I I just said that's probably just telling the truth. Yep. However, Terrence's family is convinced that the crew is lying and something more sinister ensued. Upon digging into this case... I found out someone else not related to the shoot had gone missing that exact week and not far from there either. Multiple crews were sent searching in various areas in Idaho County for 76-year-old Nespers resident Connie Johnson, as well as the 27-year-old Terrence Woods. So someone else had gone missing in those woods not very far off before Terrence. Search conditions are extremely difficult for crews because of the terrain. According to one of the searchers, It's not like out on the prairie or a grande. Everything is up or down. There's no level. Idaho County is over 8,000 square miles. Connie Johnson was last seen at Fog Mountain in the Big Rock area. She and her dog Ace also disappeared without a trace to this day. It's been roughly two years since anyone has seen or heard from Terrence. There's no more clues, no new information, and no one is any closer to solving the mystery of his disappearance than the day it happened. His family started a GoFundMe page to hire private investigators, and they've almost reached their goal. It sounds like one of those terrible fake real movie promos, and sadly it isn't. This is one of these cases you may never forget. There's so many unanswered questions. Where is he? What happened? What made him disappear like that? If he never had a a mental history of any mental illness before that, what happened? Right. People don't just go taking off into the woods and like never come back. That's not a thing. On the surface, 21-year-old Maura Murray appeared to be the quintessential American girl, track star, former West Point cadet, 
nursing student, and pretty. Then a series of strange events began one night while Morrow was working the security desk at Melville Hall on the campus of UMass Amherst. This was Thursday, February 5th, 2004. A shift manager found Mora at her desk in a catatonic state. All she could say was, my sister. The manager escorted her back to her room. The next day, school was canceled due to snow. That Saturday, Mora's father, Fred, came to visit with $4,000 in cash to buy her a new car, he said, though they never got the chance to purchase one. On Saturday night, Mora wrecked Fred's car on the way back to his motel room around 3.30 a.m. Around midnight, Monday, February 9th, shortly after speaking with her father, Mora used her personal computer to search MapQuest for the directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. At 1 p.m., Moira emailed her boyfriend, I got your messages, but honestly, I don't feel like talking to much, to much of anyone. I promised to call today, though. Also around 1 p.m., she made a phone call to inquire about renting a condominium in the same Bartlett, New Hampshire condo association her family had vacation at in the past. Telephone records indicate the last call lasted three minutes. The owner did not rent the condo to Mora. Then Mora called a fellow nursing student for reasons unknown. On Monday morning, Mora sent an email to professors stating that she would not be in class that week due to a death in the family. This was a total lie. Nobody had died. That afternoon, Mora got into her car. She packed clothing, toiletries, and college textbooks. I always find that a really strange mix if you're going to disappear. Clothing it. That I understand if you're making a run for it. Yeah, why would you take your college textbooks with you if you meant to run away and start? And mind you, this is 2004. People were not doing online classes that hard yet. So it's not like she could have just done everything online at this point. It seemed like her intention was to continue studying her academics. Right. If you're going to disappear, why take your textbooks? That, That one always, when I read that, it really threw me off. When her room was searched later, campus police discovered most of her belongings packed in boxes and the art removed from the walls. It is disputed whether she packed them that day or if they were merely still packed from her recent return from her winter break. So it's not clear whether she just never had the time to unpack everything or whether she packed it up with the intention to leave. Which to me makes kind of a huge difference because there's a difference between, oh, I just never got a chance to unpack and packing because you had every intention of leaving. Yeah, but then why pack and leave it? Yeah, it doesn't make... Why why take your textbooks, but not the stuff that you packed, like, in your room? That's actually, like, yours. It's such a strange case, which is why I made this list. Um, (laughs) So, uh, around 3.30 p.m., she drove off the campus in her black Saturn sedan. At 3.40 p.m., Mora withdrew $280 from an ATM. Close-circuit footage indicates she was alone. This withdrawal nearly emptied her bank account, which a college student, yeah, that... 280 would 280s, yeah. I would have probably gone into the minus during college at that point, to be honest. Although she was due to receive paychecks in the coming days, she then purchased nearly 40 bucks worth of alcohol at a nearby liquor store, including Bailey's Irish Cream, Kahlua, vodka, and a box of Franzia wine. That sounds like a stomachache, but... I mean, sounds like she's trying to rent a place that her family had stayed at before. She's taken her textbooks, clothing, and liquor. To me, it always sounded like she was going to go meet somebody. But like, was she like a drinker? I mean, she's. I don't think she college, was. So I'm sure she drank a little bit. It sounds like she was throwing a party. Right. It just seemed like she was going to go meet somebody. It was going to be a couple of days, maybe a romantic tryst, a, a getaway. That's kind of what I thought when I had heard that's what she spent 40 out of her $280 on. Right. If that almost emptied out your bank account, you think you'd be a little bit more careful about what you spend it on. So spending it on alcohol, that's very strange. Right. She then drove north into the White Mountains of New Hampshire off Route 112, where she got into another accident. 
this time smashing into a snowbank. A bus driver named Butch Atwood, who lived nearby, stopped to ask if she needed help. She was shaken up, not bleeding, but declined his offer. Butch called in the accident to the police. Little did he know this would be the last sighting of Mara. This time between the accident and the moment the officer arrived on the scene was between 10 to 19 minutes later. Sometimes I saw 9, sometimes I saw 18. I roughly saw 10 to 19 pretty much everywhere I looked. Sometime in that window, Mora vanished. Despite coming off as a model American citizen as mentioned before, she had been into some trouble both personally and legally. At the time of her disappearance, she was in trouble for credit card fraud and identity theft when she was caught ordering food with someone else's misplaced credit card. Nothing super major, but, like, still totally illegal. Yeah, but she's also a 21-year-old college student. Like, I don't think there are worse things you can do. Right. But here's trouble number two. She had left West Point in the middle of a judicial inquiry that was launched when she stole makeup from commissary at Fort Knox. You're stealing from, like, a military institution. Something's kind of going on. I don't know if it's a klepto thing. I don't know if she could have just been generally, she also could have just been unhappy and maybe trying to get kicked out. And the final trouble that we know of, she had been having an affair with her track coach. She had confided to her lover that she wanted to run away and start a new life with this little information and 16 years later with no traces of her. There are swirling conspiracy theories about what happened to her. While most armchair detectives believe that Murray ran away to start a new life, her father, Fred Murray, believes she was taken after her car accident. A decade later after her disappearance, he told WMUR, quote, my initial thought is still what I think. Somebody locally grabbed her who knows the area, knows where to go, and knows how to get into some place and out some place without being seen, end quote. He's not the only one who subscribes to this theory. Jean Foley, a resident of the area near Murray's collision site, told the news station, quote, I always felt like she was in the wrong place at the wrong time and someone came along, end quote. Another theory claims a different driver came to pick her up. Mm. Many on Sluice believes that there may have been a tandem driver from another state who met up with Murray and shuttled her across the Canadian border to begin her new life. Oh, you mean like that this was part of the plan to like to do this and then... And to have somebody stop and pick her up. Okay, that's one of the theories. Okay. But my whole thing with that, and I can see that being like, oh, this might be why the explanation, but I guess you could say someone else could have pulled up and abducted her, but someone else coming with like the plan of that seems rather strange because why would you crash in the middle of a route where there's tons of people that can see and like how Butch Atwood stopped to help her? If you're going to do that, wouldn't you do it somewhere more remote where it would be a little more difficult right. for someone to not possibly see you getting into somebody else's car. I don't know. It's uh, it's strange, but it is out there. James Renner, an investigative journalist who has spent years writing about the Murray case, believes the involvement of a second driver is likely. While attempting to dispel rumors of Murray being taken against her will, he wrote, The only way this could have happened was if Maura knew the driver and there's no time wasted for conversation. Enter the tandem driver, who would have been driving ahead of Maura. If they were ahead and saw the accident in the rear view and were past Bradley Hill Road, the next place they could turn was around Route 116. It takes approximately seven minutes to drive to Route 116 and back to the scene of the collision. That would kind of, at least, and this is the middle of a, of a winter, that kind of matches the time that, that she was with in, in that she was uh, had interacted with her. Gotcha. 
Some sources claim she was involved in a love triangle. Murray was reportedly engaged to U.S. Army Lieutenant Bill Rausch while allegedly dating Hussein Baghdadi, the assistant coach of the UMass track team. According to Renner, detectives spoke to Baghdadi after Murray went missing. Baghdadi claimed Murray told him about her impending disappearance during a private conversation. This theory proposes that when Murray disappeared, she was supposedly going to a cabin owned by the UMass Outing Club located in the White Mountains, which is what she printed off of MapQuest. Reportedly, Baghdadi frequently joined the club on similar trips. There is another theory that she was escaping an abusive relationship, even going as far as saying she was pregnant and didn't want her abuser to know about the baby. And the last fact that freaked me out was the one that seems to be the most plausible since there's no evidence to support the other theories. As her father put it, she was abducted by a dirtbag. On February 8th, 2012, almost seven years to the day after Murray's disappearance on Route 112, an account named 112 Dirtbag posted a video of an anonymous man laughing maniacally from the shadows. Well, I will post on our site, it's creepy laughter. The final shot simply says, happy anniversary. Eerie as fuck. Yeah. He put 112, which is the route, and her, right. and his, her dad went on several outlets saying, oh, a dirtbag abducted my kid. So the fact that they put dirtbag in the names, kind of like, were you listening? We you did this for that reason. Yeah. While the creator of the video was never identified, Murray's father did not give up the search. Quote, the case has to stay alive. That's the only hope I have. I can't help Mora now. The only thing I can do for Mora is grab the dirtbag who grabbed her. That's all I can do. I must find her and bring her home. End quote. In February 2019, there was possible new evidence. Mora crashed into someone's private property, and since her disappearance, the owners have been hounded with press, amateur sleuths trying to solve the case, even drones flying over the crash onto their property, onto the crash site. In 2018, the owners sold the property, and unlike the previous owners that refused to let her dad do, like look around the property, this family let him do a little digging. Cadaver dogs reacted to a scent in the basement around the property, and ground penetration corroborated it. When Mora went missing, there was no social media sites, but now thousands upon thousands of people have been trying to help bring Mora home. The question still lingers, however. Where was Mora going when she crashed her car in New Hampshire? What happened to her afterwards? Was she heading into the White Mountains to commit suicide? To go off and die like an old squaw, as her father suggested to police? Was she picked up by a serial killer? Or did she use an underground railroad for abused women to aid her escape into Canada? Those questions still remain unsolved. I feel like some of those questions could probably be answered if people just like investigated more. Totally. And the one thing that I was kind of thinking of, one of my favorite quotes in Genesis, God says, what's done in the dark will always come to light. And I just feel like with all of these cases, you have to kind of keep it in the light so that the truth comes out, which also ties into the next case. One is Angelo Monchito. Cruz. This last one's an older case, which is what I was saying, but it cl- it hits close to home for me because he was from New York. There's also less information on this case than I have ever seen before, period. But this is the case of Angelo Cruz. Angelo Monchito, as people called him, Cruz, was born on September 20th, 1958. He was a Puerto Rican professional basketball player. He was born in New York. Coming out of the Patterson's projects in the Bronx, Monchito was a New York City playground legend by the time he finished high school at DeWitt Clinton High School. He played two or three years at All Hallows High, both in the Bronx. After playing at Bethany Nazarene College in Oklahoma and Essex, New Jersey County College, he moved on to play professionally in Puerto Rico. Cruz began his career in the 
Baloncesto Superior Nacional in 1977 when he was 18 years old. He played for the Indios de Canovanas for 13 seasons. He led Canovanas to the back-to-back championships in 1983 and 84 and recorded his 1500th assist in 1988. Cruz spent his last three seasons with the Titanes de Morovis after 16 years in the league, averaging for 14.8 points and 4.8 assists per game. Pretty impressive stats. That's, a, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. At the age of 20... Cruz was part of the Puerto Rico's 1979 Pan American team that earned a silver medal in San Juan in a memorable PRUSA showdown against the Isaiah Thomas Bobby Knight-led USA team. He would go on to play in two more Pan Am games in 1983 in Caracas, Venezuela, and in 1987 in Indianapolis, Indiana. In 1984, he played the FIBA 1984 Tournament of the Americas Olympic Qualifier in Sao Paulo, Brazil. In 1990, he played at the 1990 Goodwill Games in Seattle, Washington. In 1998, Cruz helped qualify for Puerto Rico to the 1998 Summer Olympics in Seoul, Korea, a tournament of the Olympic qualifier in Montevideo, Uruguay. So this guy's like traveled the world. All over the place, yeah. So he was damn good. You might not hit NBA status, but you're going around and helping. There's a lot of players who have careers overseas and in other countries. It's not, it's not rare. So Angelo Cruz retired from basketball in 1993, after which he found a job working at Yankee Stadium, where he met and befriended New York Yankee player Jose Valentin, which is super cool. That is cool. However, in 1998, Cruz's loved one stated he had a hard time adjusting after his retirement from professional sports. Despite his job at Yankee Stadium, he was depressed and became involved with drugs. I feel like that happens with a lot of players because you don't have a long career as a sports player. You have... Most a lot of them re- retire in their 30s, maybe in their 40s. And then after that, it's like you spent your whole life building up to be this player. And then you're what are you after that? And I know that because I played sports my whole life. And when people kept asking me if I wanted to continue that with my life, I knew that that's where that was headed. Because what I mean, you could become maybe a sportscaster or something like that. But when you're 40 something, you're like you have like half of your life to live and you're literally done with something you worked your whole life for right and And I I also think it's a part of it too not only do you miss like the whole glory of being on a team but your adrenaline is so low compared to what you're used to so right you go from like playing games and practices to basically out and things like yeah drugs or alcohol is is a quick high they start trying to replace the the feeling you know and I, i i understand that that make people getting depressed after that. I think that that's that's a real serious thing that happens to a lot of athletes. But what's strange about Munch, as people like to call him, was that he disappeared five years into his retirement in 1998. Hmm. So he was visiting family in Puerto Rico, actually. And he went out. He said he was going to go to the store real quick. And he was never seen again. Puerto Rico in 1998. Walked out of the door. He had no, no enemies or anything like right. that. Never came home, never called anyone, never contacted any human being, just fell off the planet. In August 2011, the first basketball tournament honoring Cruz's life was held in the Patterson Houses. In the days leading up to the tournament, the Cruz family released several statements informing the public they were still seeking answers to his disappearance. This was 98 to 2011. They got no answers. So they kind of took the opportunity of people honoring his life to get attention back into the case. The family also announced a scholarship fund created in his memory. All contributions support basketball camps for Bronx youths. The tournaments are attended by Cruz's eldest child, Angel Cruz Jr., his grandson, 
Canay de Cruz, Cruz's mother Gloria, and his sister Naomi Cruz Limon, along with his basketball family and many friends. So like I said, Cruz was last seen in Santa Rita, Puerto Rico on May 1st, 1998, as he was visiting re relatives in Puerto Rico when he disappeared. He went out to buy milk, never returned, and has never been heard from again. He left behind five children whom he, were, he was very close to. His case remains unsolved. New York police are investigating and his legend still looms large on the playgrounds of NYC and he's hailed as one of the greatest basketball players to never play the NBA. So wait, that's all the information you have? He went out to get milk and was never seen from again and that's it? And when I Googled and on a YouTube, all I could find were old basketball games, like things that were recorded in Puerto Rico. And you said he disappeared in Puerto Rico, but the police in New York are investigating? Yep. They have not disclosed why. I don't know That's if the so disappearance stemmed from New York and he was, he maybe took off to Puerto Rico. Again, there is zero information on this guy. Like I looked everywhere for weeks and could not find anything. All I saw was like basketball stuff. These three cases are haunting because these people seemingly disappear off the planet. No bodies, no prints, no verifiable sightings, no active work or credit cards to track. A feat that is almost impossible in the heavily trafficked world we live in today. We can only hope that one day we find the answers and know what happened to them all. See, what's creepy about these cases is in a lot of missing persons cases, one of the things that I think hinders investigations is that you always have people calling in these tips. I saw them here. I saw them here. I saw them here. And I think that sometimes it actually like makes it worse because most of the time they're bullshit, but at least they could follow up on leads and stuff. But to have a disappearance where literally like nobody's saying, oh, I saw this person here. I got a phone call. I got a letter. I got a site like that's that's crazy because that's literally vanishing off the face of the planet with yep. like not a trace of anything. That's very creepy. So, yeah, that was my case. Th thanks for creeping me out. <laughs> no problem. It's what you do. All right, let's do this. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who, who does, does that? that? Well, I actually have a who does that that from today. So it's on. Um, okay, for those listening a week ago. Yeah, it's March 11th. It's a Wednesday. We're recording on a random Wednesday. So I got this from our favorite HuffPost. Suspected car thief tells police she's Beyonce Knowles. Spoiler alert, she's not. Oh, <laughs> I knew you would love it. Okay, she's like the most recognizable person on the planet. How do you think you're going to pull that one off? Well, you know what? While I'm going to screenshot a picture of her and send it to you so you can see who I'm talking about, because I can't even wait for, for any more time for you to, like, see this. So you're going to meet Beyonce. Not really, right now. When I was first reading this article, I was like, well, maybe she looks like her and she, like, gets that she looks like her, so she thought she could pull it off. Um... Not quite. Can't pull it off. Mm -mm. It's from Las Cruces, New Mexico. A New Mexico woman is facing charges after police say she stole a car. This could be Beyonce's great grandmother. <laughs> this is not Beyonce at all. This is like Beyonce's not grandmother, great grandmother. And like legit. <sighs> police say she stole a car and later tried to claim she was pop singer Beyonce Knowles. Surena Henry was arrested Saturday morning in Las Cruces, New Mexico, when an officer spotted a vehicle that resembled one that recently had been reported stolen, the Las Cruces Sun News reports. According to court documents, the 48-year-old, Beyonce's in her 30s, the 48-year-old Henry she ignored- 48. She looks- No, she, she does. She looks so much older. She looks- 98. My mother is 63. She looks way older than my mom. Yeah. 
So the 48-year-old Henry ignored the police officer's orders to pull over and later parked in front of her home, which is stupid. <laughs> you stole a car and you just went to go park it. To roll up to her house to get arrested. Oh, that's awesome. Documents say Henry told the police officer she was Beyonce. Police also reported Henry told the officer she found the keys in the vehicle and decided to take it for a joyride. She also allegedly told police that she didn't stop driving when she saw the emergency lights because she didn't feel like it. <laughs> Henry well, is charged. We could all get away with that as an right. excuse. Why I didn't you do that? Like I, I didn't feel like it. Okay, keep going, ma'am. Like, did she you didn't feel like it. I didn't feel, I like, feel it. like it. <laughs> Henry is charged with unlawful taking of a motor vehicle, concealing identity, and resisting or obstructing an arrest. You see, I don't think she concealed her identity. She just said the wrong one. <laughs> it was not known if she had an attorney. And... <laughs> The beehive would be so offended looking at this photo because it's it's like a slap in the face for you to either be that drugged out or that delusional that you think you can get away with saying you're Beyonce Knowles when you look like this woman is completely... Inexplicable. I was waiting for the part of this article that said she was intoxicated or something like that and it never came. Yeah, I don't know if she's on drugs or delusional, but either way, like it's an insult to Beyonce. <laughs> it's an insult to the Knowles family because this woman would never be related to them. She stole a car and then she ignored police officers officers because she didn't feel like pulling over and then she just went and took her stolen car and parked it in front of her house so ridiculous i really can't only in america i swear (laughs) (laughs) well that was our episode i hope you guys liked it i really liked it and i'm thoroughly creeped out and now i'm never letting my husband tell me he's going out for some milk because he's never gonna come back (laughs) like subscribe if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, please 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 leave us a five-star review to help get us out there Follow us on Instagram. Write us interesting emails. But more importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Bye.